Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have a, a great pleasure to have this lady on my podcast. She is the host of the Happy Healthy podcast. You can find her on LinkedIn at Kimberly Ficklin, F-I-C-K-L-I-N. She is the world's first and only workplace well-being scrum I have no idea what that is. I, I, I have barely can, can come, I can barely identify the word scrum, let alone find out what all this other stuff is. But you can find her on LinkedIn, but right now you can find her on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Kimberly, how are you today? Ryan, I am amazing today. Happy Monday. It is a, not an incredibly gorgeous day in Portland, Oregon, but it's not raining, so that's always a plus. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited about our chat. This is, it's my pleasure. And we pre-planned this because I was on Kimberly's podcast, The Happy Healthy Workplace, and we're going to talk about that. But we decided, I'm like, Kimberly, let's just, you know, you come on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Those of you that are watching this on video, you're going to see I've got a, a Cleveland Cavalier sweatshirt on. Kimberly has an Oregon Ducks t-shirt. We just, did, we planned it this way. We're, we didn't want to dress up and be too formal and everything else. You know, we just, we're just hanging out, two friends hanging out, talking about intentional encouragement. So let me start here. On your desk, and we were talking before, or above your desk, we were talking before about the sign that you have hanging up. Today is a good day for a good day. And Kimberly, see with the power of video. Look, I'll be right back. Look at this, yes. Today is a good day for a good day. Those of you watching this on video, you're going to get a, a special treat there, and you're going to hear her, her, her levitating desk there. Yeah, Kimberly's doing magic on, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Kimberly, today's a good day for a good day. Where did you find that, that inspirational piece? Because I love that, and it, it's really what this podcast is all about, is providing that source of intentional encouragement. Well, everybody always asks me where I get things, and I honestly don't remember because I, I truly am a shopper. Um, I'm a frugal shopper, but I like to shop. It probably That's was why I love life. you so much because you and I are cut from the very same cloth. <laughs> I'm the shopper in our family. I love eBay, and, and I, I don't like to spend a lot of money on things. I do not. And that was probably Hobby Lobby or something. I love Hobby Lobby. It was probably something like that or Home Goods or something. But I got it originally because I was running, um, I have a big house and it's a split level and the top is 1800 square feet. The bottom is 1200 square feet and it's an apartment down there with a second full kitchen and two bedroom bathroom. And I ran it as an Airbnb for quite some time. And when I went to go look for, you know, decor to put in there, I wanted everything to be happy when people came on their vacation. And I found that and I was like, that is great. Cause it's always a good day to have a good day. And sometimes it's not always easy to have a good day, but it's always a good day to have a good day. That, that saying can never be wrong. Well, and, and here's the thing, and this is what I love about what you're doing with the happyhealthyworkplace.com is so many people now 
the happy, healthy workplace is home because we're in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. So many people are working from home. Some people will never go back to a work in office setting because their companies have said, well, you know, for, for obvious reasons, financial being some of them, where they don't want to pay for utilities and office space and things like that, that those employees will continue to work from home. So how does a person that is working from home, that has never worked from home, how do they go about creating their own happy, healthy workplace at home? Oh, that is the question of the day. That's a really difficult one, I think, because what what we keep hearing a lot of right now is, oh, we're all going to go virtual. Everybody, now it's been proven that we can all work from home, but not everybody's happy about that because I have this great space, right? I have this office with my um, stand-up, sit-down desk now, and I, I have everything that I need to be successful when I go to work every day. But that's not really the case for everybody. As a matter of fact, my husband, who's now on the recliner in the front room programming on his laptop, right? So he doesn't really have a space here because I work from home. I always have for the last 10 years. And so, of course, we created this space for me. Now, he's welcome to come and be in it as well, but there's no dedicated place for him to be. So there's that challenge for people right now is how to dedicate a space where you can actually create, you know, your office. Because I don't, I was just at my best friend's house in California. I'll tell you this little story. And right now her husband works from home, which he has for quite some time. She's an HR manager for Caltrans, but now she's working virtually from home. HR direct, she's She's bigger than a manager, but anyway, she works in HR and their son just finally went back to school, but has been in virtual learning all this time. So I come to visit them. He's got his office dedicated with the door shut because he's always at home. She's in the front room with a little desk now. And then Christian, her son is in the kitchen in a little nook there. Now, is that conducive to everybody having their own workspace? They've got a workspace there, but is it really creative does it does it lend to them not being distracted you know i would beg that it doesn't and mm -hmm. that you know as soon as christian could go to school they sent him back to school and as soon as angela can go to work i know she's going right back to work and so we have to think about what's good not for the whole everybody right but what's good mm -hmm. for me right now how can i create the space in my home right now well, we've had to do the same thing here where I live in West Virginia because um, my son, who's a sophomore at Marshall University, they have been virtually learning since March. And so we had to make changes. You know, we, we, we did. I didn't know what a ubiquitous nanometer was until I found myself in the space that I am now, which is detached from my house about 200 feet. This is a place we've always, I've had a desk here, but we've really had to transform it into that separate space. So where he could have his, his space for learning, I could have my space here. My wife has still continued to, to go to work. But yes, some of these things, like I didn't realize at, some, at one point, Kimberly, that webcams would be as valuable as toilet paper here in West Virginia. We've changed internet. We've done all these different things. And for most people, trying to create that, ha that happy, healthy workspace can be stressful. What's a great tip for people that are looking for something to go, 
this is this is my normal for right now. I don't know when I'll be able to go back to work, but what's one tip that they can do to to take what space they're in now and make it a happy, healthy workplace? Well, I would suggest first that boundaries would be the first thing you would have to have a strong sense of boundaries. So with your children, with your spouse, whoever's at home with you right now, and in saying that, you know, I'm at, I'm at work during this time, maybe I'm at the kitchen table and usually, you know, and it's hard, kids are doing school, but then they're off running behind you or dogs are barking. And I mean, we're in a whole different world right now. First of all, I would hope people would give each other grace because mm-hmm. we're in a different world, but setting up those boundaries where you say from this time to this time, um, to maybe to your children or your spouse, you know, I have to work and I need you to be out of this space. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so now maybe it's, so you've put your boundary up and everybody's going to stay out. If that means you have to lock them in their rooms or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Lock kids in closets. No, I'm just kidding. But, but you know what I mean? That's a great parenting tip for those of us in West (laughs) Virginia, because you know, that's, you know, most closets are the size of, you know, most that's the, that's a uh, typical bedroom here. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it is what it is. It's okay. It's fun. (laughs) So we'll go back to the closet. <laughs> yeah, we'll go back to the closet. Exactly. <laughs> and, and listen, I think a happy, healthy workplace, pants are a must. You have to. Pants at are- home, yeah. At home, you have to wear. Yeah. 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 So that people don't walk behind you. Yeah. Just whatever your boundaries are, right? So put those yeah. up. But here's, here's a little bit of a tip to go further than that. So now you're going to take your laptop over to the... Um, kitchen table and it's just the kitchen what if you take okay so here's how I set myself up before we got on today okay I went and I got myself some nice tea that I really love my favorite tea yeah we were talking about that the other day I have my I have my reds mug so yeah we're good so there you go so now I've got my favorite tea I start to surround myself even at the kitchen table with the things that make me happy smells so if you like a candle put a candle by you it doesn't have to be a bunch of things but if you spent 10 minutes of your time getting everybody out of the way. You put up your boundary. I'm working from this time to this time. You're not allowed to interrupt me. And then you put some little things that you love that kind of personalize the little space around you. Mm-hmm. I think first of all, that would help because it gets us in a different mental state when we have the things that when, especially smells. Mm-hmm. So we can, I can smell my favorite tea and I can smell my favorite candle you know maybe you have light music on if that's something that you can that you're uh, have the ability to do while you're working i mean that would be where i would start yeah well and here's the thing too chefs do that in the kitchen they call it mise en place they get their tools together their knives they get everything ready to prepare for that evening when they're going to be cooking and doing their work and so yeah, you're, you're just doing that same thing with work and you're getting yourself, your, your tools, mise en place or tools in place to be able to work. To know a little bit of French, not much. Do, you know, little, little, <laughs> you know what? The funny thing about that is when I was in high school, everybody was taking Spanish, which I wish like nobody's business that I would have now. Mm-hmm. But my father wanted me to take French. Who speaks French in the United States? I mean, in the United States, rarely. Uh, so I don't remember much. I remember some words. But yeah, I'm always like, ah, I wish I would have taken Spanish instead. I couldn't get into Spanish in high school, so I had to take Latin. I took two years of Latin. Mm. 
I've had some Latin too, because in my younger years, I wanted to be a nurse. And so mm-hmm. I have gone through some nursing training and I had to learn, um, you know, the Latin words for things, uh, suffixes and pre- prefixes, because that's what they use in in the medical world. So. Well, and growing up in Southern Ohio and West Virginia, you become fluent in pig Latin as well too. So, <laughs> so you used to talk pig Latin when we were little oh, and I'm boy. originally from California. So that must be. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's interesting. Hey, take me through your story as far back as you want to go, because this Ooh. is what really the crux of the intentional encourager podcast is, is for people to tell their stories. And so, you know, go back as far as you want to all the way back and and take us from then to now and how you got in your journey from where you, where you were to where you are. Sure. I'll definitely do that. I, I, since we're talking and I usually talk about the workplace in general and my traumas behind that, I think I'll just start there. Um, from when I was at a young age and you start wherever you want to, when I say, take me back as far back as you want to go. That's your cue to go, well, it all started when I was two. I was just going to say, well, my mother was a senior in high school, and she says they were going to get married anyway, (laughs) which is actually true. That's actually a true story. Um, Are you sure you weren't born in West Virginia? (laughs) I wasn't. Anyway, well, okay. Well, so what I'm going to start with is probably um, really what I'm going to start with is my first workplace where I had some significant trauma happened and how I handled it. And then I'm just going to roll right into probably just other things that have gone on so that people can both understand that they're not the only people that things like this happen to. And some of it is super traumatic and I often don't share it because it makes people, honestly, when I have, I can physically see people kind of recoil. But I also think there's people in this world, I can't be the only one, obviously, in these workplaces that have suffered the way that I have. You know, let me, let me park Other there for just a, let me park there for just a second. I think COVID-19 and, and the pandemic that we've gone through has told, hopefully the one thing that comes out of it is that it's okay not to have the perfect life in the perfect situation and it's okay to share your story because what I think COVID has taught us is everybody goes through challenges in life. Mm-hmm. Everybody overcomes something. So you just take off. You tell me, you just take off and tell our, our audience whatever you feel like you want to share. Sure. All right. Well, um, I will start with in my early 20s. Uh, I was probably maybe trying to think, I think I'm one kid, maybe about 20. And um, there was an, I was looking for a job and there was an ad in the paper for a car dealership pretty close to me. And they were hiring, um, they wanted to hire females. Specifically, they were looking to, I guess, what they thought was equity um, and diversity at the time. Um, So they were looking to hire females. This was back in the early 80s, no, mid 80s. So there wasn't very many females in car sales. And what they offered was this car college, which is funny. I should have brought out my, I actually have a certificate still that I passed car college. And, um, and so me- Do you consider that I, your alma mater, car, yeah, car, car you? It's my first <laughs> car yeah. college. Um, yes, there is such a thing. I don't know if it exists anymore, but anyway, we went through this like two week training where you know, they taught us how to sell cars. 
um, sales techniques and those kind of things. And it was, I, I think they got probably like 12 women there. And out of those 12 women, I think they hired half of us. And so we went into a workplace where it was all men. There was no women. I think the woman, there was true to a workplace. I think the woman was HR payroll, you know, like this. And mm -hmm. all the salespeople, including the owner and his son who ran the place, right? So they owned it, they ran it. Well, first of all, it was a hard place to be for a female in a time where there wasn't females there because often men who came in to buy cars wouldn't take us very seriously. They just didn't think we knew anything about cars mm. <laughs> because, you know, and, and again, going back to not that that's a horrible thing. They just were used to having men sell them cars. Right. So they were making mm -hmm. an assumption that women didn't really know as much. So that was interesting in itself. But what happened in the workplace was um, the owner who had come to me and wanted me to take uh, basically control of the sales of their fleet of their fleet sales because they had there was a big sugar plant near us and all kinds of it and they sold these fleet trucks um as well the owner was having a beautiful home built custom built and he was trying to get the construction truck company to buy a fleet of trucks as well so um i mean we had to dress back then women wore skirts i don't want to say that we did wear we wore skirts more often than anything else and um and he started taking me to his home. He would say, hey, the construction guys are out at my site. Uh, let's go out there and talk to them about, about fleet trucks. Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay. So we'd go out there and um, get out into, you know, at his personal home, which there's, there was just no reason really for me to ever succumb to going to these places like this, right? Did but, you ever feel like when, so when the first time something like that happened i had i would have to think that you that you, you think oh okay well the owner wants me to come to his house this is a big deal things like that second and third times you're like this just doesn't feel right how did you in your mind get past the feelings you were feeling in your gut that that these alarms were going off how did you kind of get past that to just go anyway? Did you feel like it was something you had to do to, to maintain your job? Absolutely. Yes, 100%. And you want to think, oh, they think I'm the rock star salesperson. They're going to give me fleet sales. I'm going to make a ton of money. There's all these ego things that went on. And plus I was young and I had no gauge of really experience with anything like this before. And I'd all, but the experiences I had had, had had as a young woman was that, um, not to really question men when they said things. And I don't want to say like be subordinate, but it was just, mm -hmm. plus I was so young and he was like in his sixties, you know, so he was, uh, to me, he was a mentor. So I kind of thought of it that way as well. So we, you know, so I, I, I got to that point where it was like, oh, well, this is what he wants me to do. Well, the first time he took me to the house, he was like, Hey, do you want to walk through it? It was, it was just framework being done and whatnot. You want to walk through it? I'll, I'll show you where everything is. I was like, sure. And so we walked through, wow, it was gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. And we got up to the master bedroom and he, there was a little closet, like a half little closet. And he was like, check this out. And he opened it up and he was like wanting me to look in there. And it felt really awkward because I just didn't know why I needed to look in there. But honestly, Brian, I didn't have the 
self-esteem to question him at this point. So I kind of just peeked in and I thought, this is super weird. First of all, why am I in his master bedroom? It just all, none of it felt mm-hmm. right, but I couldn't identify what didn't feel right about it at the time. It just felt icky. And Kimberly, a lot of people that are in that situation, men or women, because mm-hmm. it happens both ways. Absolutely. Yep. You, you think to yourself, there's a lot of fear that sets in because you think to yourself, if I don't comply, then things are going to get hard for me. If I do comply, I am violating what I believe internally my values are and things like that. When you start feeling that way, do you, do you keep it inward or do you just go, Hey, this isn't right. I'm not comfortable. What, what do you do at that point? Because some people are like that, Kimberly, they're reticent in some ways and they just mm-hmm. repress those feelings mm-hmm. or some people just come out swinging. Yeah. Well, I think it depends. I th- for me, I, here's what I think. This is my own personal opinion is that when we're younger, we don't have the self-confidence to challenge people as much as we do. We think, oh my gosh, we're going to lose our job or whatever, right? So we just don't. And I think with age and experiences like this, we come to create our boundaries. And it's like, I'm never going to let that happen to me. Like my husband says to me all the time, I can't get away with anything because you've got all these boundaries now because all these things people did to you before. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I created them to protect myself as I did not before. So I do think that as young people, especially in our 20s until we're 30 or I always say 33 is the magic number when we start to come into ourselves and we start to make it more about us. And when in our 20s, we're people pleasers. We want everybody to be happy. We're afraid to lose our jobs, those kind of things, right? Now I call everybody out all the time, whenever. And I, you know, going forward, there's been, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll continue with the story. Yeah, yeah, finish, I yeah, finish this. Now I'm all in, like finish yeah. the story, yeah. Awesome, okay, so so, uh, so that happened, right? And then I didn't say anything and I went home and then every day things, little things were happening to the point where uh, we were sitting in the owner's office one time, he's sitting across his desk, we're having a meeting and there was like three or four, five of us in there and the, Oh, actually, I, pro- I apologize. It was actually the son who was about 35 or so. He was, uh, he was at the desk. The owner was standing behind me. And all of a sudden, during a meeting, I'm not even joking. This is no joke. I felt him reach down and unhook my bra. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. I seriously had no, I just froze. I'd, because I thought, did that really happen and when we're moving forward in these stories i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about how i question myself as a female against a male every time because i don't i always always stuck up for guys i would always say and not that i don't and not that i don't think this is the right thing to do now but i do say that now i trust myself more is i would always think i don't ever want to call out a man uh, for something sexual, because they could be in a lot of trouble. Like they can go to prison and go to, you know what I mean? Like I just, well, here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Okay. It's one thing if, and, and, and I, I want to be careful here, but I want to, to call a spade a spade. 
in this in this atmosphere of me too there are a lot of times when someone can can make an accusation of someone that is totally false just to gain an upper hand or just say you know what i don't like you so i'm going to take you out when it's justified though in your case and behavior happens that way that absolutely is repulsive abhorrent behavior that no one should do at all in the workplace has no business in the workplace and it's it's amazing to me how for years that culture was fostered in a lot of businesses and it was just like well that's just how so and so is that's just how they are you just have to overlook it because they own the company or they're the best salesperson or this or that. And in Kimberly, there is zero excuse for that behavior. That's abhorrent behavior. It's disgusting. It, it, it just, uh, to me, it's just perplexing still to this day, telling the story thinking they really did that <laughs> again. It's like, what? It's mind blown. It really is mind blown even to this day. Well, anyway, so moving forward into this story is that I don't even remember how it happened, but at some point I talked to one of the other girls and somehow we started chatting about things that were happening to us. And what we came to the conclusion was the same things were happening to both of us. Well, then we started talking to another girl. Then we started, and we just, her and I made a decision to ask the other women in the workplace. Now, keep in mind, I was like 20, 21, maybe, you know, and all of us were that age, early, early 20s. And um, we'd made a decision to go ask each female if they were being harassed. And sure enough, all of us were. And so we were like, what can we do? And I called OSHA. And I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't even know what's happening. Like this was my first, you know, rodeo, <laughs> as you would say, mm -hmm. into any type of uh, sexual harassment in the workplace. So they, what happened was me and six girls took this on together and we worked behind the scenes with OSHA to create a legal um, uh, case against this owner and his son for sexual harassment. So we had to work under cover and allow them to still continue to do a lot of the things they were doing so that we could document what was happening and then turn it into OSHA. So that happened for about six months. And in the end, and again, this is back in the 80s. Today, it would have turned out probably much more spectacular. Things would have happened in a different way. But this was the beginning of the women's revolution in sexual harassment in the workplace. This was the beginning of people standing up and saying, hey, this is, this is really happening to us, you know? Mm -hmm. And so after six months, what they did was um, they got the case against him. We all left. Um, he gave us $1,000 each as you know, I mean, honestly, we all could have used a lot more than that. We should have pushed for more because we were losing our jobs as a result of their sexual harassment. Um, but we, I, none of, all of us were young. We didn't have lawyers really. We were just working with ocean. They weren't trying to get money for us really. Um, but the most important thing about what we did do is that in any interview moving forward where there was a female being interviewed, they had to, uh, disclose that they had a previous, uh, case against them with OSHA for sexual harassment. And they also had to put posters all over the place, which they did not have before, letting women know that sexual harassment isn't okay and that you know you can turn it, us in here. So that was really my first, um, my first 
thing with, you know, workplace in the workplace with being harassed, but, and it was hard. It was so scary to stick up for ourselves. And I don't think I could have done it if it wouldn't have been for the fact that I had other people doing it with me, because I think at that young of age, I just wouldn't have had the confidence to, to do it myself. What would you say to yourself now that so much time has passed and, and 20 something Kimberly reaches out to Kimberly today and says, I am in a terrible workplace situation. I don't know what to do. I, I need help. What would you say to that Kimberly? Uh, say something. Always say something. If you feel uncomfortable the first time, trust yourself. First of all, here's the thing. I think it was on Oprah years and years ago, and I can't remember the name of the guy, but it was, um, he wrote a book about um, trusting ourselves and how we don't and how we're like the only animals in the kingdom that don't, right? Because every other animal puts up their protective instinct and then just does what he, 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 he told this little story about um, there being an elevator, right? You close the doors and it's a big metal box that you close yourself in with somebody else at any given time and you put yourself at risk for anything to happen while that box is closed. Well, women will come up to um, an elevator and the, the door will open and there, oops, there'll be a man in there. And, um, and immediately maybe we feel like, oh, I don't really wanna be on that elevator, right? Mm -hmm. Which is fine. Even if the guys, even if it's you, Brian, it's okay for me to make that decision. Um, and then just decide to take the next one. But instead, mm -hmm. what women often do is that we don't trust our instincts. We just don't want to hurt Brian's feelings. So if the guy, somebody we don't even know will never see again in our life, likely, and I'm going to make a snap decision to put myself out of protective mode to make sure that somebody else fe doesn't feel bad. Well, what we need to start doing, what I would tell that young Kimberly is trust your instinct. And it's not always right. Doesn't mean Brian is a bad guy, but what it does do is put you in a protect in a place where you're protected when you do feel that little thing. Maybe I oh, those open those elevator doors open. I look at Brian. I'm like, hey, what a nice guy. Okay, I'll get in here. Like I have no, you know, little that little thing yeah. that gnaws at you, thinking, oh, I probably shouldn't get in there. It's not. It's not you saying that person is bad, really. It's not. So that's where we need to get over. It's, well, it's you let me, saying let me my jump. instinct tells me I'm not in a place I want to be. That's all. And let me jump in here, too. Experience has a lot to do with that because you don't know what someone else has been through in their lives. And, and I've made that mistake before of being overly friendly, being myself, and you know, I, I'm happily married, been happily married for 24 years coming up and, you know, have never been unfaithful to my wife, but I could do something or say something and somebody go, well, that makes me uncomfortable. There's no intent on my part, but you don't know what someone else has been through. And so it is okay. And, and for, and for somebody that I'm not going to say has crossed the line, but is unfamiliar with that other person's line. If, if they just say, listen, I feel uncomfortable. The quickest thing to do is go, you know what? I'm sorry. I understand that I, I wasn't aware. And, and really what it does is, is it, it, it doesn't 
build up walls, but it allows people to get to know each other a little bit better and say, that person's uncomfortable with that. I need to just be aware. And then that person feels better about the, the other person because they go, well, they respected me enough that they, they understood my boundary because everybody has, a, has things in their life that cause them to put those, those walls up. Am, am, I, am, I, am I getting close there to, to talking about what, what you were talking about there? Because I thought that was a great analogy with the elevator. I think yeah, that's absolutely. It absolutely is. And if I was, okay, so let's just do it from the female male perspective, since that's the, the actual story he told. If I were to say, Brian, hey, I've been sexually abused a, a few times in my life um, by men. And mm -hmm. it makes me feel uncomfortable to have men in my space that I really don't know that well. So until I get to know you better, Brian, you may feel a little, you know, like it may feel a little bit weird between us. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't like you. It just means that I, uh, it's things I need to deal with. And so I just want you to know that. Okay. Well, what I think is for me, I think Brian's walls have just come down. If he has empathy at all, which we all need to put into place right now, empathy needs to be huge. Perfectly. So Brian's going to put on his empathy hat and he's going to say, Ooh, if I was a female and I had been abused by men before, I probably would feel the same way she does. Mm -hmm. I get it. Get it. I won't get into your space, Kimberly, but is it okay for me to say hi to you when I see you? And I'm like, of course, Brian, I, I hope you would always say hi to me when you see me. Right? So that dialogue is different than first of all, as the, I don't want to say victim, but as the victim of traumatic stuff, we have to take a certain responsibility for allowing that vulnerability for other people to understand why we're that way. So just mm -hmm. for me to expect Brian to know that something happened to me, and that's why I'm being a little cast offish with him until I get to know him better, um, that, that's really not fair. It's not fair. However, I can be vulnerable because right now, that's what I do. That's what I do in my, in my business, right? It's about me being vulnerable so other people can understand what's going on. But in the workplace, are, are women and or let's flip it now, men who are being traumatized in the workplace, are they able to be vulnerable? Are they able to have the feedback conversation I just had by saying, hey, you know what, Kimberly, um, I've had a lot of female bosses and we can be specific. Like I think we're not picking on anybody by being specific because what you're telling me is that I have a hard time with female females because I've had females treat me poorly. Okay. That's fair. That's super fair. So if you come to me and say, I, maybe I'm your supervisor as a female and you're a male and you've had females be really hard on you and you could say, Hey, you know, this is why I act the way I do or behave the way I do, or, or I don't even want to say that. Maybe this is just why our relationship isn't what it could be because I have these walls. And once I break down the walls, then everything will be okay. I could say, Hey, you know, wow. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So we go back to how to be vulnerable. People ask me all the time how to be vulnerable at work. And here's how. You just have to do it. Here's the tip. You just have to do it. Yeah. You have to trust somebody at some point in your life to be vulnerable to. Well, and here's the thing too, Kimberly. I love where our conversation's going because this is, this is intentional encouragement. This is... This is I've been in that situation and, and my last four bosses 
have been female. Now, the first two, not good leaders at all. They had problems with the truth. One of them lied on me four different times. I, and I'll be transparent. And I know this because I have my personnel file. And I pointed out, well, that was a lie and that was a lie. And that my last two bosses have helped rebuild that because we have been able to have that relationship with each other. And I make it known up front, I'm very intentional about talking about the relationship that I have with my wife. And, and, and my wife has met my last two bosses and loves them. She's like, you know, and there are times that my wife, I'll say something and my wife is like, she's right. She'll take up for my, she'll, she'll take my boss's side. I've but, done that before with my husband. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm but, like, I get why she's upset yeah. with you right now. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're being a turd. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I think it's important to have this conversation in this context, understand that the encouragement that, that we can, can help with, with this conversation is it's okay for you to put up the boundaries in your life with your coworkers that you're comfortable with. Because yes, culture is important, but so is, and it's like, well, we've always done this. You, you should do this. And like, well, maybe I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. You know? So when, and I want to move quickly here. When you got through that circumstance around that what happened to your you talked about your self-esteem what happened there moving forward with that that helped you move forward that's a good question uh you know i don't know it's been a long time i kind of forget um but uh but that wasn't my first horror story it honestly it goes on to other horror stories in the workplace and each one took a different skill set to recognize. So now I'm never going to be sexually harassed in the workplace again. Hello. Mm -hmm. I hit my microphone. But other things can happen to me because I haven't had that experience yet. So I don't know that the next thing that's going to happen is um, me and my uh, male boss are going to have a physical altercation. Wow. And that happened too. And so it wasn't sexual harassment but it could be put, uh, put under like, um, discrimination. Mm -hmm. Well, there, uh, there's no, and, there and I had to recognize and that I didn't recognize it. it wasn't like right away. I'm like, ha I got it because I've gone through this before. It was a whole new thing, an entirely different experience that I had to recognize. But again, what I did do and what I came out of that with Brian is I guess I did come out with the confidence to say something again. So However, I let it go on for quite some time because again, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, I can't get fired. That's most of our problem is that we don't realize that the most important thing we could be doing is always looking for a job if you're in the marketplace, unless you have an employer that treats you incredibly well, you should just be open constantly to new um, workplaces because if something happens and you can recognize it, you need to be able to put your boundary up, say, well, I'm not gonna let this happen again and you have to be able to quit. Well, and here's the thing too, if it, if it leads to 
losing that job where that, that person is so, um, they, they're they just adamant that they're going to get rid of you. You have to overcome that stigma of, oh my gosh, you know, what if they call my old boss? What, what are people going to, what are they going to say? And I have to be honest and say, yeah, I got dismissed and, and because I went through those same emotions three years ago when it happened to me and, and I was like, what if they call them or what if this or what if that or something else? And you get to the point where you, you land, like I landed with a company and they go, you know, we really don't care. We want you because we like what you are about. And I was honest about my situation. I was, I was like, listen, I'm going to be transparent. This is what happened. And I, I, and people respect that. And I'm not trying to, but I can't imagine having a physical altercation. I, I want to ask one question around that. Just, just one question. How did you fight your fear? Because most people are afraid of physical... I don't like physical altercations. Mm -hmm. How did you fight your fear to stand up for yourself? Uh, I was at the end of my rope. I had nothing left. They were going to fire me if I didn't do something. He was actually keeping me from getting my work done in a certain way that regional wanted me to. He was just in the way. And I basically just called him out. I was like, look, you know, this needs, we're going to lose our jobs. I'm going to lose my job. So I'm doing this. I'm going to call corporate. I think I, I, I challenged him. I was like, I'm calling because I had asked regional, like, what am I supposed to do when he says no, blah, blah, blah. And they said, call me. I pick up the, so I, was, I picked up the phone. Well, that was over the top more than he could take. And our physical altercation happened that he just, he screamed, he threw the phone and I ran to my office and he chased me and we actually physically pushed the door shut yeah. and open and shut and open until I could shut it and lock it. Um, and then I, called corporate and said, what am I supposed to do now? And I snuck out the back of the building and I never went back again. Um, I just knew there's no way I could keep doing that. I was going to get fired anyway. So what, what did I stand to lose at this point to stick up for myself? You know, I mean, there hadn't been a lot of, that's the only physical altercation I had with him, but he had been grooming me for quite some time before that, telling me things about, you know, just, things he did to his wife when they were first married. Um, I'd lock her in a closet when we weren't, when we get in an argument, so I didn't have to listen mm -hmm. to her. Well, when you tell a female employee those types of little things, it's really grooming to get control of that person. Like, this is what I do. I'm not afraid to do things. And so after a while, I was a little bit worried about him. And, um, and after that happened. So, so that's the short story of it. But yeah, I mean, it just gets to the point where it's like, I'm being abused. If you're willing to do that, yeah. If you're willing to do that at home, what makes you think that that behavior won't transfer to the workplace? It sure did. It absolutely one hundred percent did. And so I, I, I'm dumb. I'm dumbfounded that people would stoop to those levels and act that way. It just, thank God, that you have overcome those things because here's the thing Kimberly I think people are listening to us and they go you know what I've got a boss that's just 
kind of riding the line there. And it may not be physical. It may be verbal. It may be, listen, we don't think you're, you know, our, you know, so-and-so does a better job than you do. It's those little tweaks. It's those little, which are not legally wrong, but they could be like, hey, you know what? You're not as productive as that person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or you're not as skilled as that person. And it's those little digs. It's those little things. Instead of encouraging people. Encur- and, and, I've, and Kimberly, this is what really irks me sometimes. The biggest thing that leaders can do and they don't is encourage their people. And, and it just bugs me. So having said that, let's piggyback that. off of that. Let's <laughs> piggyback off of that. Yeah. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for somebody facing an unhappy, unhealthy workplace? How do you encourage them? What's their biggest piece of intentional encouragement specifically for those folks? Yeah, well, what I would say is, first of all, you were looking for a job when you found this one. And you'll find another one. And somebody's going to be super happy to hire you, just as Brian had mentioned. Even if something traumatic has happened to you in the workplace, you can overcome it. You, it doesn't feel like it. And when we are in the job, we feel like, oh, I have to have a paycheck. Of course we do. We need to pay our bills. But let me tell you what happened. Each and every time I left uh, um, a toxic workplace, I gained more experience and more skills and got a better job. Right. And I only had, I mean, I've had quite a few jobs and I only had, you know, two or three times when it, when I wasn't in a really good workplace. Other than that, I've had a lot of fun in the jobs that I've had. And what has happened to me is when I've left something behind, let me put it this way. When you're holding on to something that's toxic, that's what you're full of. And you cannot have something wonderful and loving and caring and encouraging in your life until you get rid of that. So you have got to purge yourself of the bad and insert all of the good. And so if I can encourage you to do one thing is a couple things, trust yourself and your intuition, set your boundaries and do something when you think it's not, you know, when you, even if you don't think you should be, or you're questioning yourself and then know that there's something always on the other side for you, you'll find it and then you'll be happy with it. Wow. What great advice. What a great place to, to end our conversation. We could have gone three, four hours, and maybe we will on a, on a future <laughs> podcast where we'll go a little bit longer. You can find Kimberly Ficklin at LinkedIn. Tell, tell everybody else. I don't want to tell them where they can find you. You tell them where they can find you. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, LinkedIn is the, the social media that I'm on the most. I'm also on Twitter. Um, I have Instagram. I'm not on it so much, but definitely LinkedIn is where I am a lot. You can also find the Happy Healthy Workplace podcast on any of your favorite players or by going to my website at thehappyhealthyworkplace.com. And Brian, thank you so much for this. This was a lot of fun. Um, I was also on, uh, Brian was also on my, let me go back. Brian was also a guest on my podcast. His episode will release this Thursday, actually, Brian, on 1022. 2020 since this will probably be evergreen right here you can mm-hmm. always go back to the happy healthy workplace.com and find all of the episodes including brian's 
And I tried my best to be informative. I was a good boy that episode. I was trying to be very nice and very informative. Unlike the Intentional Encourager podcast where you never know what will pop out of my mouth. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but when you're in somebody else's house, you, you, you don't, you know, you don't run around with your shoes and socks off like we would here and like we would do in West Virginia. When you're in somebody else's house, you act civilized. And so I was in Kimberly's house. I was acting civilized, but no, no it was I, great. It was great. And this has been fun because again, too, I, I just, I want to just wrap this up and I know we were talking there, but please, if, if you need that help, if you're in that toxic, reach out to Kimberly. She'd be a great resource for you. Um, and, and, and don't stay there because it's not good for you. That's our intentional encouragement is just leave it behind because it's not worth it. Your health will suffer. Everything around you'll get bad. But Kimberly, this was great. I can't thank you enough for being open and transparent and honest and sharing your story with us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.